0: Hello and welcome to a special edition episode of CHN Radio. I'm your host, Greg Troxell, and you can give me a follow at NUFC underscore Greg on Twitter. Uh, Give us a follow at CHN underscore Radio and follow our main account at Coming Home NUFC. So, a special uh, special podcast for you today. Uh, We are actually interviewing from the Chronicle, Mark Douglas. So enjoy this. It's pretty awesome. We cover a lot of things, Newcastle United, um, from everything from, like, the past few seasons all the way to how this season's going and what to expect in the future. Takeover Talk does happen. So enjoy, uh, like us, share, subscribe, rate us five stars on the podcast. It means a lot. And enjoy. <laughs>
1: June 1862 on a summer's afternoon. I took the bus to is and she was heavy laden. The way we went along Collinwood Street, that on the road to Bladen. Oh.
0: All right, everybody, and as promised, we have our special guest with us. He is a legend for me. Um, I have Mark Douglas. How are we doing? Not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. How too you get called a
2: legend? Uh, no, yeah, well, I get called all kinds of things uh, on social media. But, uh, legend. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, so Mark is the – if you don't know Mark, shame on you, but give him a follow at MSI Douglas. He's a football publishing editor, editor for Chronicle Live, and uh, you also have we, we have a a little a little issue. You have the Black and White podcast.
2: We do, yeah, yeah we do. Um, I think probably a slightly uh, slightly different kind of market. We can all, we can all be friends, can't We can all no, we, can, yeah. we can be one podcast.
3: What's no, no. <laughs> fine with it? It's just you <laughs> do understand that Greg and I are literally the only Black and White. Newcastle podcast yeah. because I'm actually, is actually white. We, we, we
0: always have our intro. We say you know, the only black and white podcast and then the black and white podcast came about.
2: And we're <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a good, that is a good a good line. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's good branding. Good branding. <laughs> um, so, yeah, first thing I wanted to talk about is your book, uh, Inside the Revolution. Could yeah. you, for for people at least, most of our listeners are from the U.S., um, but we're all over the world, and like a lot of people are, we have we have like your diehard supporters, and then people just kind of getting into it. So like people that may not have read your book or may not have some insight, could you maybe give that to them?
2: Yeah, sure. So I mean, the book came out of the season that Newcastle won the championship. Um, I really had spent a lot of time in Rafa's company. It was the first full season that um, that Benitez had been uh, been at Newcastle. And I think what what kind of made me kind of think about the book was I was preparing a feature for the end of the season, which was sort of, you know, the best, it was almost like the most interesting quotes that Rafa had come up with. So, I mean, it was going to be a bit better than that. That sounds absolutely terrible. But it was going to be a little bit better than that. And it, the idea was that, you know, look back at what Rafa had said and, and how the, and how the season had gone. And you kind of, Looking back at the quotes, I realised like things he said in August and September had started to come true by the time I was looking to, to do that feature and, and, and the book. And I thought, there's actually a really good kind of background story in, in this that of like a guy who is, uh, you know, so methodical that and more methodical than any manager that Newcastle had for a while that, that look, there's we really need to i really need to like dig into this a little bit a little bit uh, deeper than uh, than just looking at the quotes because there were things that he was putting in place in in September and August um that came luckily that, that sort of came came to fruition at the end of the season so it sort of started with with that and then i just kind of went through and looked at looked at my notebook for for some of the little things that he'd said on and off the record some of the great things that had happened um at the games and 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 i just thought actually this is this is quite good for a sort of uh, you know, a bit more of an in-depth, in-depth book because I love those books that, that you know, that you don't even have to necessarily know anything about the sport. I mean, I've got, um, I've got the uh, the book about uh, the Golden State Warriors, the uh, Beatable book. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not a massive basketball fan. I don't really know too much about, um, about the NBA in terms of probably a lot of people who read that book. But I wanted to know about how intelligent, good people uh, do things in sport because it, it feels like sometimes sport is a little bit ahead of some other aspects of society in terms of the people who manage things are, you know, visionaries really in, in a lot of ways. And, and I just thought he was the first manager in 10 years in Newcastle that kind of lent himself to that sort of book. And I've always wanted to write one of those books. I love, I love reading them. Uh, and luckily, he, he came in at the right time and, and the chapters all go through. I mean, it's, it is in chronological order, but the chapters are all about different aspects of things that he did. So um, the first couple of chapters are about like how he scouts players and things. And that is... What a scientific process I think what you realize I think when you, when you look into how Rafa Scouts plays is that a lot of Premier League clubs they look at they maybe look at this, they look at underlying stats and they look at and some managers just basically bring in players that you know to be perfectly honest they fancy you know they look at the player and they think, oh he's good you know he's 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 got a look about him that I like or he's got a good heart or he's got good energy or something like that you know which is very not kind of unscientific which is unscientific and then other managers are very all about stats. Um, and you see a lot of clubs now moving towards the stats, whereas Rafa's is a, a really good blend of the two. And he's the first manager that I've known that recruits players to be part of a team and to be part of a system that he has, rather than going out and signing a load of good players and deciding actually what system can we have to manage these players. So when you look at a kind of Rondon signing, for example, in, in August, I think a lot of Newcastle fans were like, Salomon Rondon what's he done he's never scored more than 10 goals in the Premier League but now you can kind of see why it worked I think that's what makes Inside the Revolution a kind of like a, you know a book that I kind of enjoyed writing because it was methodical it was one of those you know it was one of those kind of process books I love reading those books that um, you know kind of it's almost like the Malcolm Gladwell thing isn't it where you, you read you read a, a book and it kind of by the end of it you think oh, that makes perfect sense um so yeah, I kind of that, that was the attempt of the book. I mean, I don't know whether I kinda mean, got there, but that was the kind of thinking. It was a very was like about I think I had to write it in about two and a half weeks. So <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty mad. I mean, I think I I didn't get much I uh, didn't get much sleep and I didn't get much uh much free time in those two and a half weeks. It was, it was great fun and it was a brilliant, uh, brilliant thing to do. And uh, you know, one of these days I might look at might look at doing a, a follow up, hopefully hopefully if he stays this summer and kind of actually goes on to do something. Yeah,
0: like, inside the revolution it. when we won the league.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the worrying thing was when I wrote the book, um, the, the whole summer then became, is he going to stay, is he going to go? And I think we got to one point where I was thinking, this book's going to come out and Rafa's going to walk out the week after. And it was like, <laughs> oh God, but that's been the way it has, I mean, that has literally been the way it's been for pretty much since then, which was I think it's two summers ago that the book came out um and it's just been like that since so maybe there was a little bit of a um you know theme sort of starting then but the the, end, the book ends with a kind of oh and everything worked out for the best cuz Rafa got together with ashley and of course we know that a few weeks later that, um, <laughs> that all sort of kind, of kind of went the wrong way so yeah the the end of the book i kind of like to rewrite the you know and get, and get the happy ending that he deserves uh this time yeah it's it's
0: pretty yeah. interesting because you you look at the two points that like with Rafa it's like sometimes you see our starting lineup and, and even this, this new, well, it's not new anymore, but this season, the three at the back formation and you'll look at the lineup and you'll be like, what? Like, I don't, I don't like doing this. Like one of our writers, he, he, he mentioned in this last uh, yet on Friday said, I hope we don't do three at the back with this formation. And we, we play well, we win. Like it's this Rafa has this mindset, this tactical mindset that nobody else is like a different level. And then yeah. you mentioned the Rondon thing. I mean, you can even go to Mitro. Like, seemed like a fine enough striker, but Rafa knew something wasn't going to work with him and signed the player that, that would, and it's worked. So yeah. it's, it's just pretty... It, it, to have the confidence in yourself to be
2: able to pull this off is is pretty impressive alone. But, yeah, and I mean, the thing is, look, it, what, what I think is kind of you know important to, to think is that it's not... It's not that Mitro's not a good player. I mean, he for some manager he will you know for a manager he will work. He obviously, d- he's done okay. Yet at I mean, I think yeah, yeah. It's kind of dried out a little. But it's more that if you and this is the frustration I think sometimes with, uh, with 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 where kind of what Newcastle's attitude's been towards him is that if you get if you get Raffer you don't want kind of diet raffer do You know, what I mean, you, there's no point in there's no point in bringing raffer in, and then not backing him to make some of the calls that he makes, which might not seem to make. Financial sense, I think probably what's happened with um, between Ashley and, and Benitez, I, you know, look, I, I think Ashley is is not been good for Newcastle United, and, and he's done a lot of things wrong. But some of the the way that people have seen things this year is very black and white. You know, there, yeah, there you go. The, the pun again, it's very black and white between um, <laughs> Ashley is the villain. He's um, he's desperate to undermine everything that Newcastle United does, and as the hero, it's not quite it's not quite that way. I think what the problem is at the moment, is Ashley and the people around Ashley do not understand how a football club that Rafa would run works, makes money for them. They, they, they look at it and think that, you know, the team that went down under McLaren or went, well, eventually went down to Rafa, but it was McLaren's team. That team had a net value, which was much bigger than the squad that they've got now. You know, they could sell Suzuka, they could sell Mitrovic, sell Alden. But this team might have a sm- a lower net value, but it's a better team, and and you kind of feel like saying, look, you have to go the whole way with Rafa. You have to sort sort of say, look, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt because if you're given the whole the whole shooting match and you know, the whole freedom over to bring in the players you want, it might feel in the meantime that oh God, you know this this team isn't worth any money. We're not going to make any, you know, we're not going to be able to sell anybody if we go down, but you know, long term, you'll have a better product because the team will stay up with five games to go, or hopefully in the future, it will be 10th in the league, or it might win a cup, or it, you might get players coming through like this season, Longstaff coming through, for example, because players around him are better. It's a better environment for young players to come through. So you end up with a Longstaff who's probably going to be worth 10, 15, 20 million if he keeps progressing at the same level that he's at. Whereas, you know, they had Suzoka, who obviously went for £30 million, But what was the point in having him? Because the team got relegated. He was really just looking to, to move as soon as it was obvious to Newcastle didn't have that ambition. So Rafa's way is the football way. Ashley's way, because he doesn't understand football, is the business way or what he thinks is the business way. And really, it's now, for me, it just is a case of can Newcastle United's hierarchy just understand that what you did didn't work. So... Give Rafa the, the freedom to, to do the things the way that he wants to do them, and it will work. You just have to hold your—you have to hold your kind of worries for a little bit. Um, and I don't know whether Ashley can do that. That's my one worry is I don't know whether Ashley can do that because he's used to getting what he wants in business. He doesn't—he he doesn't understand football, and he doesn't really want to understand football. He just wants—he wants somebody to to buy players for money that they can then go on. He he liked the Graham Carr model of running a football club but that model got Newcastle relegated twice so it doesn't make any sense to me to keep going with it yeah exactly and um
3: completely unrelated um (laughs) after all the serious stuff um we have a writer in 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 Newcastle his name's Graham great guy um and he informed us that there's now a Taco Bell in Newcastle um, do you know what you've gotten yourself into, Mark, with this new Taco <laughs> Bell?
2: <laughs> I, you know, I went to, I went to Taco Bell uh, oh, ages ago, 96, I think. And uh, eh, when I came over to Florida, I think, and I really, it was amazing. I could not believe it hadn't come over a bit sooner. It's like, I, I mean, There's and out Burger over there as well, which we haven't, got, we haven't got in Britain. And I don't understand because they're like, we've got some horrible fast food Places over here that you probably haven't got over there, but but we haven't got some. We have got some of the best ones. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And yeah. that's like Five Guys as well. People queuing to go and Five Guys when it came to Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it is nice to be fair, isn't it? But, um, but yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, it's big, That that is a that is a big addition, big addition to Newcastle. I think.
3: And you were <laughs> thinking, you were talking about the best because I mean, personally speaking, I'm I'm not a huge Taco Bell guy. I'm I'm a Chick Fil A guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm a Chick-fil-A guy. Greg can probably chat out on Taco Bell, but I'm <laughs> definitely more of a Chick-fil-A guy. And honestly, Mark, you need to try Chick-fil-A if you haven't. It is it is the most delicious fast <laughs> food you'll ever have.
2: Is that where's, where's that then? Is that is that all over the US or is it just in a certain part?
3: Oh, um, but now it is. It used to be mostly in the south and then kind of the west. And then they kind of – they just started expanding up to the northeast. But it, it's, it's been, like, number one fast food restaurant in America for, like, two or three years now. Oh, we need a bit
2: of that. We need yeah. a bit of that. It'll probably come to, it'll probably come to Newcastle in about 2028 20, or something. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get <laughs> you know, it then. If, if you're lucky.
0: <laughs> All right. Now, uh, so staying with the American team, do you have a favorite
2: NFL football team? Well, do you know what? Like, I've watched – I've watched all of the uh, the Amazon. Um, I've watched all of the Amazon kind of behind the scenes documentaries and stuff. And I absolutely, you know, I, I've I've got to be honest with you. I think they are they are amazing. But the, the problem is that basically, what happens is I just change my affiliation with whichever teams in the uh, on the Netflix uh, on the Netflix show. But, <laughs> there you go, um, there you go. but I love. I, I mean, my fa- my favorite one. I think my favorite my favorite one was the uh, the, the LA Rams. It's, um you know, they were. Uh, yeah, I think. I think that was. That was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, and are you? And you mentioned you're a basketball fan too. Do you like? Um, is it Golden State? Is that your team?
2: Yeah, I think. Well, okay. the problem is that. But then you become like. So my team, my my English team is. You were absolutely hopeless this year. So I kind of feel like <laughs> supporting a, supporting a good team in in the in the in the NBA is a bit like it, you know it's not really it's not really fair. I didn't feel right to support a team that wins because never. Wins anything. Support a team that never wins anything. So I, I, I don't feel like I can pick a, a team, but yeah, I did. I did like the way that I did like the way that they do things. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, the problem was I grew up when Chicago Bulls were the big, big noise. Yeah. In, in NBA, so you kind of always had a bit of a soft spot for them. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the problem is like my, the, a lot of the way that I see American sports now. Um, obviously, I, I, I watch I watch quite a lot of them, but a lot of them is through ESPN. The docu- the documentaries are so good. Yeah, so it just means yeah. you end up picking. You end up picking bits out. Like you end up having a favorite, a favorite college team and things like that, just based on a on a, a kind of you know documentary that you've seen and stuff. So I have different. Like, you know, my, my affiliation just changes whichever, whichever <laughs> team, uh, whichever. Team. But I like you just like the Cowboys. That was that that was absolutely amazing when you saw their facilities, um, yeah. in in the Netflix thing. I mean, you know, look, I don't think there's any. Maybe Man City, the only team I can think of that would have anything close to their. Their facilities—it was just like this incredible. I mean, it was amazing to, to see, and I, I mean, I love. I don't. I think there's this kind of fascination with, particularly the NFL in in Britain, because we just don't. You know, we just don't have anything of that of that ilk. I mean, the Premier League is brilliant, but it's much more like it's much more like earthy. Do you know what I mean? If that if that makes sense. it's, it's yeah, a bit more.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> It's it's like you know, look, the, the team is still it's still a bit ramshackle in some ways. The Premier League, you know, you don't realize that. Like Newcastle United is is brilliant, and when what you see final product you see before you on the Saturday is great, and it's being been across the world. But we go down to the training ground, you know, it's not like the Cowboys' training ground. It's not like that or, You know, there's a guy at the security uh, the security gate who's been there for sort of twenty years, who knows us all by name, and kind of lets us all in. And there's people waiting for autographs at the, at the gate. And so it's, it's not, you know, and, and the wind is terrible and stuff, and it's just not the same. And I just love watching those, those documentaries. So I think I, I'm kind of one of those terrible, and probably the American viewers here are sort of like probably thinking, uh, what, is, what, what is he talking about? But that, that's, how, that's how I I've kind of got into a lot of my American sports, really, through, through the Amazon series and through, you know, 30 for 30, through the 30 for 30 stuff, absolutely absolutely I- incredible you know i mean like some of those documentaries i just you know I-, I absolutely love them
0: yeah and, and i know people that support newcastle from the movie goal so yeah yeah very yeah, similar, yeah.
2: <laughs> very similar. <laughs>
0: um now how, so how did you i guess give people a little insight how did you start how did you get into covering
2: newcastle for the chronicle so um i'd kind of like i I wanted to be a, um a journalist for probably from like when i was really small i was uh, you know, my dad used to get used to get newspapers through the through the uh, like we used to get them delivered every day, and I just I, I would always turn to the back page. But I always wanted to kind of be a uh, be a sports journalist, and it was kind of like through through university, I went into do the the kind of the university newspaper here, and I ended up sort of going to a, a small local weekly newspaper and doing a bit of crime reporting, and then got a got a break on my next job where I went over to Wolverhampton to cover. Uh, Wolves for the Express and Star, which is their local paper there. And uh, the the opportunity basically came up to to move to Newcastle to cover Newcastle United. And I thought at the time, this was like 2008, I thought, well, well look, Wolves is a big club. It's a great city for, for, for a football club. But I thought, I want to be somewhere where they're going to be in Europe. They're going to be kind of like battling for top half of the Premier League. Wolves oh, are in the championship. Oh. And I thought... You know, there's no way that I could. If I stay in Wolves, then it's going to be. Uh, it's going. You know, I'm. I'm not going to be able. To, I'm not going to Europe. Sure enough, like now, here we are. Wolves are. Uh, wolves are kind of making <laughs> moves. But having said that, you know, I, it, it's just been ten years. I've been. Mean, it's eleven years. Uh, eleven years now. It's. It's just been incredible. Like even though team haven't really performed, it's been, it's been incredible. And and you know, I've been really lucky in that I've kind of. I kind of started off as a sort of junior member of the desk really and now I've ended up kind of being one of the more senior members so I can kind of, I have a say in how, how we actually cover the club as well and you know, I I think it's not just Newcastle United that's been a challenge, it's also the newspaper industry has changed hugely in the, in the last 11 years and we now, probably when I started it was all about what was on the back page and you know, you've got a bit of time to, to kind of write things and, and research things and now, you still get that time but, The internet is king. Um, Social media has changed everything, and um, and so we have to kind of you know it's quite quite an interesting one really because the um, for us the the, the big challenge at the moment is to keep our site you know keep our site really really um, credible and important and and you know to have that credibility with fans but we also need to kind of you know I'll be honest about it we need to get as many um, page views as we can online as well so we kind of we have to do a lot of things that. We wouldn't have done a few years ago. So it's been quite good for me because I, I've been able to sort of influence our editorial direction. So I've tried to keep it as very much like I think a lot of people probably would say, "Oh, you only do things a certain <laughs> way." But I've been desperately trying to um, desperately trying to keep things as as, as credible as possible, and and uh, you know, and make sure that we do things in the right way to get page views. But we also, um, but we also, you know, make sure that we're not um, we're, we're not kind of behind the news with other people so one of the things that's, that's been crazy that I've kind of noticed is on social media you know I, there's people that I speak to on social media and I've been speaking to for six or seven years on social media that I've never met and I feel like some of them are like you know some of them are, some of them give you stories you know I've got I've got stories from people who I've never met um who I've just known for a long time and they're you know they're really good they're really good contact and they also give me an idea so sometimes some of those people that, you know I think there 's a lot of noise on social media and we get and we get criticized and praised sometimes for stuff that we do um, but I kind of ignore the noise and I kind of trust there 's a certain number of people that I follow on so on social media who and they 're the people that I trust and sometimes they'll they 'll sort of say to me oh you know i 'm not sure about what what the Chronicle did there, and those are the people that you kind of listen to so yeah, um, thanks for following us for that. We really appreciate yeah.
0: it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it is it is really key because I think when when um, when Almiron came over, we noticed there was, you know, we, we Newcastle has a brilliant following in America. It might not be the biggest following in America, but it, it's a huge, it's a really passionate following. And probably because it's a team that you can't see every week, you can't you don't necessarily get that social side of it that a lot of Newcastle fans do. You're almost as loyal I would say that the fans that follow the club in in, in America you know some of them are getting up at like ridiculous times to watch some some of these games you know they're almost among the most loyal fans because they don't some of them I mean some of them obviously have a background of Newcastle some of them just pick Newcastle they like certain pieces, the certain pieces that they like about it some of them because they watch the gold film and they didn't realise what they were getting into and they've just been dragged into this kind of like <laughs> <laughs> this ongoing city psycho drama that is Newcastle United that's kind of like totally interlinked into everything to do with Newcastle and, um, and, and uh, it's great you know it's brilliant there's people all over the world that follow the club now and we w- i wouldn't have known about them before social media so one of the reasons why i love twitter and i love kind of facebook as well is that i do think that for all that it can be terrible, it connects me to like you guys for example i would we wouldn't be having this chat probably if it wasn't social media um and, and it's great you know it's yeah. been really good so it's been a bit of, bit of a roller coaster ride the last 11 years but it's been uh, but it's been it's been fun and hopefully Hopefully, if Rafa stays, then it might actually get a bit better on the pitch as well.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, and um, we'll we'll have to invite you guys out because we we did the the live Tune Army America Meetup podcast with Warren Barton in Denver. I don't know if you saw anything like that. Um, It it was pretty cool. Like, you know, Warren was even (laughs) telling us he was like, "I'm blown away that there's people that would travel from all over just to come to this one bar to watch one match and hear me
2: talk." (laughs) We should do it next, <laughs> next time. Next time it's on, we'll next time it's on, we'll, we'll we'll look at we'll look at trying to get out there and yeah, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure it, it's it's possible, you know, because we yeah, it, it would be a, make it a fantastic. It would make a fantastic piece. That would be one of those kind of one of those kind of trips that you'd you'd never forget as well. I'm watching we're, Newcastle at two in the morning or whenever it was <laughs> um, with a load of American fans when the, all my writers are uh, in Newcastle would be incredible.
0: Yeah, we we announced it will be in Baltimore next year. Time date to be confirmed later.
2: <laughs> so we'll hey. let you know. We'll keep. Yeah, it. Uh, crab boil. Yeah, crab boil, is boil. Baltimore. So <laughs> if yeah. I can get, if and, can get some drinks and like expenses as well for everybody.
0: Hey, now, okay. now you've risen up the list of invitees. <laughs> 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 All
3: right, um, let's get into this season. Uh, so obviously Mark you've been covering. Uh, Newcastle the entire season and as you said for the past 11 years so uh, how would you rate this season now that it's kind of dwindling down uh, some may say safety's been secured uh, how do you rate this season?
2: I think in terms of in terms of individual matches probably been I think there's three games that I can think of this season including Friday actually that have been as enjoyable as any Premier League game that I can remember in Newcastle for the last uh, since they got since they Probably came back into the Premier League with Chris Eubank, uh, the, the Manchester City midweek game because it was so unexpected. The Everton game, which was incredible, and then Friday, which was probably one of the better away performances that I can remember from Newcastle United in the eleven years that I've been here. So there's been like good games. There's been probably two of like three or four really good games that have been really enjoyable. But the season as a whole has been a bit of a struggle and. I wouldn't say it's been enjoyable for the most part. I think we we're kind of probably still on the field with Facts Friday. So, you know, we've seen it through that that lens. But I've got to be honest, it's been, you know, the start was absolutely grim and it felt at times that it was, we were getting to a kind of breaking point a little bit with the fans. And, you know, when a lot of the protests were happening and fans were then arguing with each other because, you know, nobody really understood, I think, how, what was going on. And then then you had the kind of, you know, another round of, Takeover stuff that ended up being, you know, ended up not coming to fruition, and so it, I think from that perspective, it's been a really frustrating season. It's been a season of what what might have been. Um, and so I think probably in terms of where where it is, it'd be uh, towards the lower end of, in terms of Premier League seasons, it would definitely be towards the lower end of Newcastle's Premier League seasons. But with the big caveat that if Rafa stays, some foundations have been laid. I think for a brighter future you've got Sean Longstaff coming through I think who has been a revelation and it's been really uh, it's been really uplifting to see Mm -hmm. him Um, Miguel Almiron I think is going to be it's going to be really good I think I've started to see in flashes what he's about I think that and that that was really good Um, I think you've got team ethic and a work rate and a commitment there that Newcastle should not take for granted it is it is something that a lot of teams in the premier league don't have that that sort of work rate a kind of willingness to never stay die and and finally the fans i think have been brilliant this season again because you know i know a lot of people say the atmosphere is not as good as it used to be and some of the home atmospheres have not been great but my take on it is this is the second season in succession where the team has gone through a very long losing run they've not turned on the players they've not turned on the manager because they believe in this group of players and they believe more, the bigger things, they believe in this manager. So those are the kind of, those are the really important things to come out of this season. But in terms of actually the results, performances, it's been grim at times. It's been really grim. I think the first year, the first part of the year has been, been hard. They went out both of the cups early, which is grim, you know, I, I think really disappointing. The League Cup was particularly disappointing because um, that's, a, that's a competition, Newcastle. You know, you won't, what people forget about the League Cup is it's not, you know, you only have to win. So you're in the second round. You come, come in in the second round if you're in the Premier League. You, you only, so you're in the, the other teams in Europe don't come in in that round. So you should get through that round. And then you've only got three, three games to win before you're in a semi-final. And, uh, you know, that's, Newcastle should be going for that competition. And I know the argument is that the team, the squad isn't big enough and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a big regret for me that they don't they don't go for it in that competition because it is a it is an opportunity. So yeah, that's that's disappointing. But for the most part, I would say, you know, below below average, but if they finish well and they keep Rafa, you'll probably look back at it and say, actually, this was the season where a few things started to pick into gear. And in particular, I know Longstaff is, you know, injured at the moment, but but his emergence was was a massive, massive plus because nobody saw it coming, and and he's got massive talent, and he, you know, he, he potentially did look like a Premier League player to me, which I didn't expect he would, um, so quickly. So that was a big, that was a big bust. Um, and around Christmas, it started to it started to look a bit grim, but then they pulled it round, um, and and what's been mm-hmm. nice is to see Rafa prove right again, and the fans' faith in Rafa prove right again. Um, and you know, you feel like they're on the verge of something if they can keep Rafa and. Sort of back, um, back, back manager, how he should be back.
0: Yeah, and one of one of the, I guess one of my, I'm one of the biggest critics of Iosu Perez. Uh, I would always slate him. I'll, I'll be, I'm very open about it, and a lot of our listeners always give me crap about it, especially when he has like a absolute like dominant performance, like he did on Friday. I, I can't, I, I give him credit when credits due Trust me. Yeah. But um, my, my biggest, my biggest issues with him in particular as a player, because he's, he's such a divisive player, right? There's so many people on each side yeah. of this argument. And for me, like, I have a, I, I wish I had my old phone so I could post this, but I got a new phone, so I don't have the video anymore. There was a video of him uh, from the beginning of the season where we had possession for about three minutes. He didn't move 10 feet and never went into the box. And I, it's like, that is my biggest criticism from him more than anything. It's just awareness, just yeah. purely. But then he has these magical moments. And yesterday, like things that I haven't seen in a long time, like him splitting defenders off the dribble and just like making plays. What's your thoughts on Iosei Perez? Um, especially like this season, performance, him as a player, like whatever you want to say about him. Yeah,
2: well, do you know what I think? I think what, for me, the, the big thing with 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 Perez, this under Rafa, is that he he's not, I mean, we kind of forget that Perez when he first came in was a player with, you know, he played off the cuff a little bit, did, did Perez. I mean, there was that goal at West Brom that he scored, which is that kind of back-heeled goal. And yeah. He was, you know, he was full of, he was full of, like, invention. Um, And, and he, you know, he was a player that played, you know, a little bit. He, he, there wasn't much, you know, wasn't much sort of work rate right there necessarily. I mean, he worked hard, but he wasn't, it wasn't the same as he is with Rafa. Rafa's asked him to play a different way. And I think sometimes that, that is, that, that job is very defensive, much as it is for Rondon, which is why, um, you know, Mitrovic didn't work for Rafa because he, he was asked to play quite a defensive role, I think. He was asked to do all this work around, um, you know, around, the, around the opposition area as well. So I think there's that with Perez. But I think we, we kind of, the problem is, is like I said, with, with, um, with the Leicester game, we kind of reinvent our um, opinions on people based on their last 90 minutes. And I think, mm-hmm. look, as much as I, I like Perez, I've always liked Perez. I think he's a good, you know, I think for one and a half million or whatever, they paid for him. It's incredible what he's done, really, since then. But you can't lie; the first half of the season, he wasn't—he wasn't very good. You know, he—he wasn't—he wasn't. I mean, he got dropped. Rafa dropped him, actually. So, you know, your, your your kind of criticism of him in the first half of the season would be fully justified. And I think he would he would say that that was, that was right as well. But he's been asked to do, I think, quite a difficult job in a in a team that, when they're defensive, they're very defensive. And it means that you, you don't have you know you don't have the ability to you know I don't think he's got I don't think he's I don't think he's a top top player I don't think he'll ever be right there amongst the very best um, of Premier League strikers but I think for what for the job that Rafa wants him to do I think he's I think he's really good and when he plays like he did on on Friday and I mean you know that header um, to beat Wes Morgan for I mean it was a clever move anyway oh but then God. to kind of rise above Wes Morgan was like it was great it was it was really good and I think what people don't expect I think the problem is that people expect him the to really top level and because I think and as well because Rafa talks of him top level and he talks himself I think top level but I don't think he's at think the expectations sometimes outmatch what he's capable of producing you know I think he will do it um, you know he will do it five or six times a season where he'll have an absolute you know he'll have brilliant game where he, like against Everton he was really good as well I thought Oh yeah, um, well, yeah. he's, he's he not. Game. Yeah, but if he was playing, I think Rafa was right, wasn't he on Friday when he said, if he was that consistent, he wouldn't be playing for Newcastle United, and that's yeah, he, that's he said, yeah better, he'd, really. he'd be
0: playing for Man City by now.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, which I think, which I think is a fair point, isn't it? I, you can't, you can't kind of, you can't knock that. Really, that is, that is, that is right. Um, so, I, you know, I like him. I really like him. And I think it'd be a shame if he went because he's also, he's also a big part of this. Um, a really big part of this kind of great team spirit that Newcastle have, and this, this brilliant attitude that they have as well. So, it's it's interesting. Like, uh, there's a big there's a big sort of the next leap that Newcastle make if they have Rafa with them is going to be a difficult one because in order to upgrade the quality of the team, they might have to they might have to bring in players who maybe don't want to necessarily work the way that the players that they've got at the moment are. I mean, Matt Ritchie, I think, it does, does a great job for Newcastle, but mm. Ritchie, much like Perez as well, if you brought in a better player than Perez, is he going to want to do some of that offensive work that Rafa asked him to do? You saw Jermaine Pennant, for example, when he was at Liverpool, said that Rafa treated them all like robots, because he thought he was, I mean, at the time he was, now people look at Pennant, he was, he's awful, but at the time he was a top <laughs> player, so he was really good, and that might be the problem for Newcastle moving forward if, if Rafa's there. And, and that's why you've got to look at players like Perez and Ritchie and people say, oh, they're not good enough, they're not good enough. OK, they might not be top-level Premier League players, but if you get to that next level, are you either going to bring in a player who are you either going to change your whole system to fit them in or do you say, actually, we we have to bring in players who will who will play the way that we want to and get into this whole spirit and team ethos that we've got, and um, and that's maybe the problem. And Perez, what what makes Perez and Richie and players like that is they're prepared to do it and they don't, you know, they have the they have the kind of character and the heart to to bounce back when when things don't go their way. So I kind of look at Perez through that prism, if you will. I, I kind of think he's he's a good part of a team that has a lot of really you know really strong. Um, strong values and and, and that Rafa wants them to play that way. So I kind of you know I, that that'd be my attitude with Perez is that he's a good player, but he's he's made better by the system that he plays in sometimes.
3: <clears throat> yeah, and then kind of speaking on a different player completely, um, opposite side Perez. Um, I've obviously been following uh, Miguel Amarón as our listeners know, for forever because. That's my home, my hometown club, um, and now to see him playing for like my favorite Premier League club as well um, has been brilliant to watch. But I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on him, especially as uh, uh, he he's starting to come into his own. He's had a couple good matches he's put together. Um, you saw he was really looking for a goal against Leicester, um, yeah.
2: but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Miguel this season. I think I think he's done. I mean, I, I think he's done remarkably well considering. Um, you know it, it's it's a huge jump from uh playing you know you kind of finished you finished the season in the mls as well that's what people kind of forget that he came in you know it's not like in the summer if you bring a player in and they have a whole preseason to kind of get themselves used to playing alongside teammates he's he's literally come from the first what was it first week of pre-season in mls he, he jumped over from that to the premier league and he played on the saturday he played on the saturday after the the previous week he'd he'd been here. so literally he'd been what three weeks in with Newcastle and then played as he did against Huddersfield and I think he's done. I, I think I think he's done pretty I think he's done really well I mean there's been there's been a couple of away games where he's been anonymous against West Ham and Arsenal but he wasn't alone in that and I think it's just because he's the record signing and because everybody expects so much from from him that people kind of pick up on that but I thought he was really good on on um on Friday I mean I saw there was a piece in one of the Papers. Our sister paper, The Mirror, that sort of said, "Oh, he's not not living up to the high, But well, I didn't see it that way. I thought he um, he stretched Leicester uh, really, really well. I think he looks to get on the ball all the time. And Newcastle fans love that about him. They love the fact that he wants to get on the ball. He's not afraid. You know, he puts himself he puts himself into the right positions and wants the ball. And um, I've been really impressed with him so far. I think there's been there's been times where when he's kind of flitted a bit in and out of the game and. Um, he 's been a little bit on the periphery, but what 's been really nice is that even during those games he 's then come up with moments where you 're like, wow we look really dangerous like against everton he probably wasn 't his best that day, but he did but he did he had the shot that obviously that obviously um, um, created the goal a really important goal in that game, and then I thought on Friday he was I thought on Friday that was his, that was his best performance since maybe the Huddersfield or Burnley game so he was great I think in the first two games. And then Friday was, was, as good, was as good, as well as he's played away from in James' Park. And he will, sc- I, I think, and mean, we really hope, I mean, we've got a, a kind of um, veteran sports writer at our place, John Gibson, has written a piece um, for tomorrow. He's written his opinion column and he said, like, there's two things he wants now between now and the end of the season. And Ron, he wants Rondon to get his 10 goals. He thinks he deserves it. And he said, the other thing is, um, Almiron, and I genuinely think if Almiron scores against Southampton, that the, 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 the cheers will be absolutely huge because people people want him to succeed because they've seen what he's about. They know that he works really hard. And I look at it and compare and contrast to say Remy Cabella who came in and people were really excited about seeing say Remy Cabella. Um, and I think he never really got going and people never really took to him because they didn't really see it. And it was that same with Florian Tho- Tovan. They didn't really ever see, they didn't really ever see it from him, but they also didn't really see him wanting it. If you, if you know what I mean? And, Almir on his yeah. work rate's yeah. been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I don't think we'll get a full picture of what of how good he is until until we, we start next season and we see a full pre-season, a full chance to work uh with his with his teammates and a full chance to kind of you know get go through the fitness the, everything that they do in the in pre-season here as well, because it'll be different from from what he was doing at Atlanta, I'm sure. And and so to, to come in and play the way he's played and to fit in ha- how he has, I think's it been really good because mid-season transfers. Are really really difficult. I mean, I can think of really good players that Newcastle have signed mid-season who've not not landed, you know, in the same way they've not landed with their, their feet uh, on their feet as well as Almiron has. So I've been really impressed with him, and, um, and and I think you know you can see that he adds something different. And yeah, for the most part, I think he most people over here have have said that, and and the pundits have kind of said the same thing. Most of the good pundits have sort of said the same thing as well, that They've been impressed with him. He's got a good, um, you know, he's he's had good up So I do think he's going to be. Uh, I do think he's going to be a good player for Newcastle moving forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, an- another player, uh, I've, I'm very proud of this one, and you've mentioned him a few times, Sean Longstaff. Um, I'm I'm like for our website coming home Newcastle. Um, I I kind of just report on all youth happenings around the club, like whether it's the yeah. U's or the U18s, U23s, um, and I. And Elijah has given me plenty of credit for this. So I appreciate it, Elijah. Um, I a couple of years ago, I in our Slack channel, I was like, guys, this Sean Longstaff kid's the real deal. Like, watch out for him. And no one really cared because it's, you know, the U23. So no one's really yep. paying attention. But I was like, every year, I was like, guys, this guy. And when he did his loan spell at Blackpool, I was like, watch out for this dude. He's going to be mm-hmm. so good. And then to see him come up make it through the ranks, get his first appearance and absolutely dominate some of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, it was like surreal for me. Uh, what's yeah. your, I mean, I know you've already said some high praises, but man, what a player. It's, it's a shame how the season ended up for him, but uh, just while he was playing, maybe give us a little bit more insight in your yeah. thoughts.
2: Well, I mean, what's, what's been really, uh, what's been really interesting is uh, that, I think so. We've got um we've got uh, uh, Lee Ryder who covers covers a lot of the the games for us as well. Yeah, and he yeah. Uh, and and he he's been talking about long stuff for a long, long time, saying that he's um, <laughs> saying that he's got uh he's got a really you know a, a really good chance. And I think we kind of look at it and we think, yeah, okay, maybe you know maybe he's got uh, maybe maybe he's, he's you know he's got he's got a, a little bit of an opportunity there, and he's a bit of you know we we thought. Come in. He might. He might do the odds, He might d- come in and play the odds, sort of forty minutes here and there. But what has been so great about him is that his. I think it's not just the way that he plays. it's also his his attitude has been absolutely flawless as well. And and I think I I, I was lucky enough to cover um to cover Jordan Henderson when he was first coming through in the northeast as well. I mm. I, I watched I watched a bit of him. and He reminds me a bit of him in the it's his attitude as much as anything that I think he's going to get better. He's going to get better and better because he doesn't, doesn't believe that he's arrived yet. He's, he's willing to listen. Um, and he's just got that incredible sort of knack of, I think, I think what, what's what's great about this doesn't give the ball away, just doesn't give the ball away. And, and you know, it, you, you go a long way for a, for a manager who, who doesn't have to, you know, doesn't, Oh, sorry for a player who doesn't give the ball away like like long stuff but then if you add into the fact he can also pass the ball really well and he scores goals as well like he against when he was playing for Blackpool that was the big thing that he had in his game was he he could he was dangerous moving forward as well oh yeah but that's outside uh, the box incredible yeah um, I, You know, i think he's i think he's um, as uh, in those games, it wasn't just you know, it wasn't just like he was kind of playing against the kind of lower ranking teams. He played was Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool. He came on looked okay as well. Um, you know, he looked really good in those games. He looked really, really, really good in those games. So I think I would say you know he's he's got a big chance. And and obviously they're probably going to let. I mean I think Hayden's Hayden's going to want to go. Um, whether they whether he whether he might have played himself out of a move because he might be. Almost too expensive now for, for a lot of teams. who want to come in. He's going to want to go. I think that um, the armies probably looks like he might go. I think Shelby potentially will go as well because they might be able to get some money. They might be able to get money for him. So it could be that Longstaff the, the the main starting midfielder next season. He could be. He, it could be that him and um, either you know somebody coming in or. Um, you know, a key, but he he's got a big chance next season. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders, um, but I think he'll be fine with that because he's got he's got that lovely knack of he's really technically quite he's quite strong. You know, I think he's really technically um, he's as good as any of the kind of players in uh, the young English players that are being talked about. Um, and he, I think it'll only be a matter of time before he plays for England. Um, and hopefully, he stays at Newcastle for long enough that we see the very best. of him Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with one more player uh, in terms of like talking about players this season. Um, Solomon Rondon has, as you've mentioned, been absolutely outstanding uh, for the team, and, and more than just his ability to score goals. Um, and, and now we're learning his free kick ability because he's he's been killing it at that as well. Um, but uh, the the big question is is should Newcastle hold on to Rondon? And and honestly. Uh, the real question is, will they actually do it? In, in your opinion?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, you can. I definitely would. I definitely would sign him permanently for the kind of money that that's being touted. You know, I understand that he is going to be thirty by the time uh, by the time Newcastle come to kind of make that decision. Um, and I, I do understand a little bit of why Newcastle sort of say, you know, look, they don't want to sign players of, of that age. And I think last summer, to be fair. I mean, I was told that he was looking for a deal. Um, I think four or five years, and I, I, it was a little bit of me that understood why Newcastle, uh, the hierarchy, sort of said we can't give him a five-year deal because he'd be 34 by the end, and he'll be on a and he'll be on a long, he'll be on a lot of money as well. But then you see what he then you see what he's done and how transformative he's been to Newcastle. Team. You think actually, you know, they should have done the deal because he's got himself fit. He's got himself extremely. Uh, I think. I, I think he's thrown himself into life in the northeast. He's been a, you know, he's been a breath of fresh air in terms of his uh, in terms of his work rate and how good he's been. Um, and I think. I think now he, he, it's a no-brainer for me. It's a no-brainer. What I think will happen now. The good news is that I think Newcastle have looked into trying to sign him permanently. So it's not like he's just being told. No, you can't have him. I think they are going to look into it. I think there is there is definitely going to be um, some form of approach at the end of the season for for Rondon. I think they will try and sign try and sign him. But if it's a if it's if it's a case of look, sixteen and a half million for him, it might be that they might have to they might have to accept less West Brom for, for Ashley to do it, which I think is going to be a problem because there'll be other Premier League teams in for him, but. The way that they were talking about it in January, and the way that they talked about it the last fans' forum, from what I was told by the fans in there, was that there was no chance that it was happen. But that that I think has changed a little bit because he's done so well, and because they recognised if Rafa's to stay, they either need to sign Rondon for him, or they need to sign somebody who's going to be as good, if not if not better. And there's not a lot of players out there that they can get for sixteen million who are going to who are going to do that. So it might end up being that, you know, if Rafa signs. He makes the point. He makes the point to them that look, if you're all about the economics of it, look how much Premier League strikers are going to cost. And so there might be a bit of horse trading there. Um, that, that Rafa makes his point and sort of, and that they come to the conclusion that actually, you know, look, players are players are so expensive uh, now that sixteen and a half million is nothing. And if that's the case, then I think he they th- they think he probably will get them. But I am encouraged by the fact that they've been making noises. About, about at least investigating the possibility of buying him. But at any other club, it would just be done. It would just be done at the end of the season. you know. And that, that's the frustration in Newcastle, is that, look, this is a football move that makes sense. Um, I think they're a little bit worried. There's a little bit of them a little bit worried that Rondon's got himself very fit and got himself very up for it this year because he knows that he's playing for his future. So there's a little bit of that, I think. that They, they worry that, which happened with Kennedy, of course, last season, um, that we all would have had Kennedy, you know, I would have said, I think actually did a piece set spend 20 million pounds, bring Kennedy in, make him the record signing. He's, he's got everything that they need. He's young, he's talented, but I mean, he's had a t- terrible season. So they are a little bit, I think there's a little bit of them wondering whether that's going to be the case <laughs> with Rondon as well. I don't think it would be because he's a bit of an old, he's a bit of of older head um, and I don't think he'd let himself kind of drop off too much. Um, but that's that's one of the other things that they um you know that has been a concern as well. But I, I think there'll be, I think there'll be there'll definitely be a move for him, um, and it's just whether it's just whether now whether West Brom will will kind of you know attempt, will be willing to listen to a twelve thirteen million pound offer, and if they are, then I think mean, Newcastle get him. If they hold out for sixteen and a half million, Newcastle, it's probably more like sixty forty whether he comes or not. Um. But hopefully, hopefully. Um, and what might happen is that Newcastle sell, you know, they manage to raise other, more money through sales and, and then that, some of that money goes towards Rondon. But there's a lot of big decisions to be made um, in terms of recruitment because even if Rafa stays and he gets a bigger budget, which I think he will do, it's still not going to be the kind of budget that blows other teams out of the water. They're still going to have to be sensible in the market. And there may only be one twenty million signing and then a few at the lower end of it. And is that going to be enough? I mean, we'll, we'll sort of see. But, um, you know, Rondon would be a fair chunk of their budget if he uh, if they do sign him. But I think he'd be worth it when you look at what he's done this season.
3: Yeah, exactly. And then um, kind of speaking on Rafa, uh, he had a, a, a nice little interview at the end of the Leicester match uh, done by Sky. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of different quotes from that interview, um, making the rounds on the internet, uh, especially... Now that everyone has been able to see it in the States, we now get Sky uh, as a part of our NBC. We also, shout out to Vox Media, who owns us, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, But yeah, so what are your thoughts on that, that interview?
2: Yeah, I thought it was, good. I thought it was really good. Is that the one with, where, where Kara uh, asked um, Rafa at the end about his, kind of his future and everything as well? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, that yeah. Was, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was a good, I thought that was a good interview, and what you saw from that, I think the most important thing with that was you could see how much Rafa wants to stay, and and I, you know, I think I kind of laugh really because there's a bit of a, um, you know, Rafa, Rafa, he's. Sometimes we see him as sort of Saint Raffer a little bit on, in the north east because we just don't think he could never do anything wrong. I think he is difficult to work with from, a, from a, a manager, you know, from a kind of board perspective. He's not been anywhere where he hasn't had his little kind of. Um, he doesn't rub up against the, uh, the the ownership a little bit. So I can I can sort of see that you know he probably needs to be manager up a little bit more. He needs to do that a little bit more. It suited him a little bit that he's got um, somebody who you know, who he works with, who's who's difficult to kind of, sometimes difficult, difficult to work with. It suited him to have a scapegoat sometimes at other clubs. I think here, it's more of a frustration really with with Ashley because he kind of feels like he wants to be here. He wants to be here long term um, and he just feels like sometimes he just doesn't get listened to. I mean, that's the frustration. But he is, he is difficult to work with. I think that has probably stopped him from getting other jobs, actually. There's probably been some boards that have looked at him and thought, well, he's, he's hard work. Um... But I thought, you, I thought it was a great interview on because you, could, you had the Newcastle fans chanting in the background. Uh, <laughs> great atmosphere and then him sort of beaming and he was so, he seemed so keen to talk up what the job that he's got. Um, the job that he's got at Newcastle. And I just thought what came across there was a man who is desperate to be here. He's absolutely desperate. And that was the main thing that I took out of it. So um, really just a question of will they do the little things that they need to do to get him um to get him uh, to, to get him to, to sign up um, probably probably i think i think you know i'm still more optimistic than not but um but it's you know there's going to be moments where it looks maybe like it doesn't happen um, because that's the nature of these things moments when it maybe people like it um and there'll be moments where probably you think he is going to sign like two weeks ago he thought he was going to sign and then last weekend it felt like he's not going to sign I I think it's probably the truth is that he will end up signing Um, he will end up signing but I I wouldn't put my I wouldn't put my mortgage on it because you just never know what you you never know with Ashley you never know what he's going to say Um, but I I do think he will I do think he will come because I I think you can see you see that he wants to to remain don't think there's another job out there for him and I think he just as long as he feels like he's going to get something from them, he will probably stay. Um, and it might be the case that he signs a two-year contract with a break with break clauses in it, which will mean that you, it won't feel like he's definitely, definitely, definitely going to stay forever. But um, but he'll get a chance to maybe have another go next season, and, and we'll see where we stand from there. Mm. Yes, and
3: so uh, kind of we're getting to the tail end of of this season. We got about four matches left. Um, what do you what what do you think uh, we as fans should expect from the team? I know uh, there was talk last year. Once Newcastle kind of secured uh, their their spot in the league, um, it seemed as if there were there were games where players were a bit absent. Do you think we'll see more of that uh, this season, or do you think you know players will really try to go for it for the last five last
2: four or five matches? No, I think I think that uh, I think the last season. What happened last season was that um, I think they they had some difficult they had some sort of difficult games really run into that end of the season. They'd, and they they played so well that they just they just struggled, I think, to maybe to maybe get out for those final few games because it was about seven or eight games, I think, before the end of the season when they confirmed it. This time there's only four. Um, you know they they, they they'll Southampton's decent game for them, I think, because Southampton are in a decent run of form themselves. They they won't let Newcastle slack. Then you've got um Brighton, I think, you know again another game that's that's massive that's a massive. You know that's a really big game for both teams, and it's but it's a winnable one for Newcastle. Then Liverpool, which is you know that that's another one that's going to be absolutely massive because it's it it has a huge ramification at the top of the table. I think every player on that team will want to be kind of every the whole world will be watching that match, and everybody will want to will want to kind of do that. And then Fulham on the final day, anything can happen against a relegated club. So. Um, so I think no, I think it'll be different. I don't think it'll be, they'll amble. I don't think they'll have the their flip flops on. Um, you never know what's going to happen um, next week, but I think they, I think mathematically they won't be safe until uh, that weekend anyway. Because Brighton and sorry Cardiff obviously got 15 points still to play for, haven't they? and then it's 10 points, and they've got their match in a week. So you know they're not mathematically safe yet, and Russell will probably kind of kick them on with that as well. But I think the, the fixtures that they've got make me think it's not going to be a um a kind of quiet end of the season. It's gonna be a good end of the season. two home games are, are as well. I think Saddam took a good good football team and it's a winnable match. And then Liverpool will be a, a really good occasion because it's because Liverpool have got so much to play for and I think you know that that that's gonna have big ramifications for the title race as well. Um, and um, yeah so I think you know four games and I think potentially I could see them winning two of them at least or maybe even three. If they, um if they, if they can kind of win next week as well, but Brighton, because if they're they're going there, their their forms going through the floor, um, and Fulham, you'd you'd hope that Newcastle could go there and get something from that one as well. So they could finish potentially 12th, 13th, 11th, 12th, 13th this season as well, which would be a pretty good finish, really, considering how badly they started. And um, you know, I, I think I think it's uh, you know you'd have to kind of look at that as not too bad as a finish to the season. As I said, it's been a frustrating season for top not, you know, not too not too bad I would say um as, as a kind of second half of the season.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think you pretty much at this point guarantee a victory against Liverpool. Um, <laughs> that'd be nice, but no. <laughs> um would we would would we be the only club to beat Man City and Liverpool in the same in this season?
2: I think so. Yes, because well, Liverpool have only lost. Yeah once this season they've only lost to Man City so far this yeah. season so um, yeah I think, that would I think be a Man City haven't beaten yeah yeah the, yeah, exactly yeah it would be incredible wouldn't it I mean uh, Man City just won again so they've, they've yeah. literally the only team they've lost to in the whole of the calendar year in the Premier League is uh, Newcastle obviously. yeah
0: I love it um, okay so now going into a more of a broader subject is the club getting sold
2: <laughs> uh, it's a good one isn't it I, I look I, I I think what happens when I when I kind of mention when I kind of talk about takeover is that you get the initial I mean I've seen every meme and every gif going that, that, about being boring and and people yawning and groundhog day and all of that so <laughs> you kind of you kind of stop you, what, what and what happens I think because things have happened because things have happened as they've happened in the last two years you end up getting to the point where you only trust things if you've seen them, if, if they are actually happening, you know, because the thing with the Kenyan thing towards the end of last December, I mean, I can't emphasize enough. Stavely, we never really we saw evidence, bits and pieces of what she was putting out telling us that, that was going to happen. But you know, nobody from Newcastle ever really seemed particularly convinced about her. With Kenyan at, and Newcastle United were saying that, or people at Newcastle United were saying this is gonna happen. Um, and you know, I've spoken to people who fairly senior in Newcastle United who were convinced that the club was going to get sold before Christmas. And you saw the letter that basically that, that um, Kenyon wrote to Ashley as well. That he was convinced that, that was gonna happen as well. What I think happened there was that somewhere along the line, I think Kenyon Kenyon got further in to due diligence than maybe he should have done because he got he got um he didn't have the funds, he didn't have the funds. To get it, but I think he was convinced that he would get the funds. He thought that he, he was going to get to that point, but he got further in judi than maybe he should have done because he because Ashley knew him and because also he he talked a good game basically. So I think, it, you know, that was a bit of a flawed policy, really. It was a bit of a but, but there was a lot of money spent on that. So it wasn't fair to say that that was fake and it wasn't true and it was never going to happen. Maybe, you know, it didn't obviously happen in the end, but it it, it got a little bit further on than than maybe a lot of these people who. Um, when it comes to these these takeover things. A lot of rumours going on, a lot of rumours going around that something could happen at the end of the season. But I've heard so many of these rumours. I mean, we've we've had people ring us up and tell us that the club's going to be sold um, at the end of the season. Uh, you know, barely seen, fairly kind of credible people tell you that. But then there's nothing to back it up. I mean, it's like the Dave Kitson thing on TalkSport. I mean, there's no evidence for him saying that. That his club's going to get sold at the end of the season. Other than he's he's heard from somebody, and he does know people in football business as well. But I'm not. Like, let's put it this way: I've not heard anything credible that makes me think at the moment that the club is going to get sold. But I have been told by people that there's something there is something going on behind the scenes. But I don't believe it because I've been told that. Time and time and time and time and time again. And it doesn't happen. So I'm just taking the attitude at the moment that I Class will be the owner at the start of the season. And the big issue is Rafa. It's not the sale of the club. But, you know, it's clearly there in the background. And then there's report that he was taking it off the market isn't true. That's not happened. We were under the impression that, you know, we were told in in December, sorry, December, January, that it, it might be taken off the market and that what might happen... Off the back of that was that Ashley would come out and give an interview and say what his his aims and ambitions for the club would be, and we were you know we were under the impression that that was going to happen, but it didn't, and that makes me think that um, he is at least open to selling the club moving forward, and that the reason for that is that he might believe that he can get somebody buying it at the end of the season because they would know that it was a Premier League club and they would have the whole summer um, to kind of go at it so if it's going to get sold, I think it would get sold in May June, as opposed to any time after that. You know, when the season, when the transfer window closes, and then and you know you're running into the next season. I just don't see what the point of buying the club would be because it's going to be, you know, you, you, the chance of changing things is going to be, it's going to be very small. So you really, you've probably only got, let's say, two months to do a deal. Newcastle United. Is anybody in the very last stages of due diligence at the moment? Well, no, as far as I know, they're not. I mean, I put the Dave Kitson thing to the club and they sort of, the message that came back was look, we wouldn't rule it out because these things sometimes don't happen at Newcastle United level. They happen at, you know, quite a secretive level, very, very high up and, you know, these things sometimes happen where nobody knows about it until it actually happens because it's dealt with by very A very small number of people who you know confidentiality is built into those clauses, but 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 they were sort of saying, Look, we think that the way that the club is acting at the moment, you know, putting pre season plans and doing things around the stadium and doing and, and coming up with business plans for the medium term, that it looks like all of that stuff points to no changing ownership, as opposed to maybe in December when a lot of those long, medium-term plans were being put on hold because they thought the club was going to get sold. Um, yeah. So, yeah. at the moment, the little signs around don't point towards a change around the shift to me. But, there are people out there who want to buy football clubs um, and I think if Ashley brought the price down a little bit, he would get taken. So, yeah. that's the that's the question. But whether he'd want to take put the price down when the club is in the Premier League for another year is, is another is another thing. But, um, but the, I'll tell you this: one, two things are certain. One, the takeover story is not going to go away until Mike Ashley actually takes it off the market, because there are people interested, um, and it's a big story anyway. Um, and two, you know, if, if, as long as he's he's willing to sell it, it'll, you know, there'll be people people knocking around who want to who, who are going to try and buy it because it's a big opportunity for somebody.
3: Yeah, and and, and I think. I, I do think something um, that has to be said is that I think the Chronicle, you guys unfairly get a lot of the frustration from fans when, you know, the club eventually doesn't get sold. Um, and, and it's really unfair considering that if you actually read the articles, uh, you know, that you and Lee put out, it's uh, it, you guys, a lot of the times you're like, Hey, I would take this with a bit of grain of salt. We've seen this before. You're saying that you're like, okay, well, you know, I don't know about this rumor. I don't know about that rumor, but yeah, you know, people just see the headline and they just automatically make an assumption and you guys kind of get looped into pushing a narrative when in fact you guys are just doing your job. which is just reporting on, on, on what everyone's been hearing. And so I, mean, I do want to, yeah. I, I, I like that you, you're, you're very open about the fact that, I mean, you do you're not that confident the club's going to get really get sold.
0: Yeah. Well, I, there, I, there's I, a guide on how to comment on internet articles and the first one is, is you read the headline, and that's optional. Yeah, yeah, the
2: second yeah.
0: part is do not read the article, and the third part is start typing your comment. <laughs>
2: yeah, it doesn't really <laughs> work like that, does it, sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, look, I, I, totally I totally understand where people come from when they read stuff about the take-up, because they, they, they just want to hear that it's either been sold or that, nothing, or that nothing's happening um you know that that's that's what they that's what they believe they don't they don't think that um they don't think there's any point in us writing about a takeover if it's not going to happen but the fact is that i think for example um when they, with the kenyan thing you know that was a big story and it certainly was something there you know it, it, there was something there and what 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 tends to happen i think mean, that people get people get upset with us because it's it's not it's not happening um, and because they you know they think that we're I think they I think the problem is that because there's so much uh, mistrust of the club and the club's communication at the moment, um, some of it fair some of it unfair because of that, they think that anytime a story is written about potentially a takeover, they think that it's part of a narrative to kind of mislead supporters, so that's why people get angry about it because they think, oh well, look takeover stuff got starts to get writing about takeover stuff again it always it's always about trying to detract from the idea that the manager's going to get some money to spend um which we saw in january didn't that wasn't that, that wasn't true you know that it wasn't true that the takeover stuff the Kenyon came out with was a um was a reason uh was a reason for them not spending because they did end up spending a bit of money so you know it wasn't that at all it was it was something that was genuinely, genuinely there. And look, the last takeover, the last big round of takeover stuff came because the owner went on national television and said the club was close to getting sold. That was why it happened. It wasn't, it wasn't journalists kind of trying to make a story. Um And you know, look, with the with the Dave Kitson thing the other day, um, you know, look, I've got to blame the the uh, international supporters for that because. Uh, they were the ones who heard it on talk sport it wasn 't in britain it didn 't the commentary didn't go out in Britain um, and they sort of they sort of said that it had been said um so I kind of tracked down the, the footage and um you know it was the problem is with that is the many basis for it. well, if somebody makes a claim like that, then I think it 's worthy of a story and it 's certainly worthy of putting to the football club, which I did um, and then running their response as well and you know, you either ignore it, which is not really an option in the internet age because somebody's going to pick up on it somewhere or you kind of run it and you sort of put it in the context of the club are saying this isn't going to happen, this is what this person said. And that that's the problem. It's all about, I think people get angry about the fact that the club's not moving forward as they want it to. Um, but, you know, the, the speculation about takeovers is nothing new. I mean, I've seen, I've seen today alone... Um, there's been speculation about Chelsea getting new owners Huddersfield getting new owners um, Manchester United have had takeover speculation all season um, I think there's uh, Southampton I saw something about Southampton the other day as well so it's not just Newcastle I think it's not Newcastle that they're kind of being you know talked about as potentially getting taken over as well it, it isn't unique to Newcastle that these things these things kind of like get mentioned I think it's unique to Newcastle that the, the fans believe that sometimes those things are put out to, um, to distract them or, um, you know, to, to pacify them because things aren't going, uh, aren't going, aren't going as well as they should. But, but that's the problem I think. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree. I think sometimes some of the things that people say about, um, people say about, about the, the, the takeover online are, are just wrong really, but I don't blame them for feeling annoyed about, uh, annoyed about it because it is, um, uh, yeah, it is a bit of a uh, It is a bit of a difficult one to write about. You kind of put your tin hat on whenever you're writing about. Um, I mean, I wrote something the other week about the, the, the internal due diligence that they were gonna that they're gonna make everybody go through. So, it, so basically, the reason for writing that story was to say, look, they there's this new. I basically heard it from somebody who was in who's interested in buying the pub for a consortium came to me and i was chatting having a chat with him anyway and and uh, one of the things that came out was Look, this is what they're doing now they're making us do this internal due diligence before we go and i just thought that was an interesting story it wasn't it wasn't a case of oh i write this to annoy fans or i write this to say that something's happening it was just we hear things and it's sometimes nice to put the story out but i think people thought oh it's taking over stories you're saying it's going to get taken over i was like it wasn't that at all it was something totally different and. um that's that's the uh, that that that's, that's all there is to it really. It can be a, a difficult one, but I think people just feel that you know why write about it if it's not happening. Well, we write about transfers all the time that don't aren't necessarily going to happen um, because that's the nature of football. You know, it's not just a question of stuff that actually happens because football is about speculation sometimes, isn't it? It's you, there's a lot of transfers that don't happen that that should happen or that, that everybody has. Everybody has worked towards happening, and they might not happen. You've written about them for six or seven weeks. It doesn't mean that what you've written is rubbish; it just means that that's how football works.
3: Yeah, um, and kind of on a lighter note, um, if you're not taking into account the ownership uh, of the club currently, um, just in general, what do you think the, the actual potential of Newcastle as a club is?
2: I think the club can I think it it's definitely a, a I mean well it's a top 8 club in its current form if the team on the pitch is if the team they put out on the pitch has maybe upgrades in three or four positions it could it could definitely battle to be in the top 8 the top 6 is virtually the same every year so it's going to take a little bit more than that it's either going to take exceptional management or a bit more in terms of transfer funds um, to uh, to kind of get there um, so that's going to be a tough to break through but I think it would be nice to see them go for something go for a cup go for a um, a cup you know go for the FA Cup go for the League Cup really try and kick on there and I think the potential for the club look it could be a, it could be another Manchester City if, if they if they were backed you know that. I mean if Wolves are now seventh in the league off the back of good investment then Newcastle. Could crack the top four if they had the kind of investment the Wolves have got, you know, and, and, and a manager as good as Rafa, and a um, you know, and, and with with all everything that's around the football club with 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 investment, they could be one of the you know one of the one of the leading clubs in the country. But you know, it's it's easy to sort of say that without, but they, if they haven't got the 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 investment, then they are where they are, and it's really at the moment they they're just a club that. Um, you know, if they're in the top half of the Premier League, they've done well. If they if they're staying in the Premier League, it's about it's about where they should be at the moment. They've got if they're getting relegated, they're still underachieving a little. And potentially, they could, could be a yeah you know, they could be huge. It, it, you know, it's one of the best football clubs in Europe. It's got um it's got a massive. I hate the word brand, but it's got a great brand. Um, it's a really strong. Uh, it's a really strong football club with a great, a great city that's got a, a, an amazing amount of potential um, for a football club to to really, uh, to, to really, to really kick on. I mean, you only have to look at the way this season that the attendances have held up with bad performances, and you only even have to look at the fact that Rafa Benitez wanted to come and manage the football to see that it's got a huge amount of potential. Um, the fact is, at the moment, any team that's it, you know, the same four teams. Five teams are in the, the Champions League every year, so they're difficult to compete with. Um, and Newcastle are way back from then as well. And and you know you've got Everton getting moving into a new stadium, Spurs are in a new stadium now, um, Liverpool potentially, West Ham obviously are trying to, trying to do that as well. So um, so you know they have to they have to they're going to have to they're going to have to do something to try and break into that top eight if that's what they want. But, but the potential at Newcastle, is I'm not the only person to say this. I mean, people have been saying this for twenty years. Um, and it hasn't materialised. So, you know, it, it, it's the big frustration, isn't it? But it's a big reason we all keep coming back because we feel that there's something there, you know? It's not like, for example, like that team that I support, Bradford, look, they shouldn't be where they are in the league, but they're never going to be Premier League club, a stable Premier League club. You know that. And there's other teams in the Premier League that, you know, look, it's going to be very difficult, for example, for a, a Bournemouth or a kind of a Burnley to to be sort of top four, even if even if they had really good seasons, it's going to struggle for them to be in the top six year in year out. But Newcastle United, backed properly, that that's a club that can sustain that year in year out. They could be a, potentially like you know, could they could match in Everton. They were bigger than Chelsea a few years ago. They were bigger than you know, they were bigger than Everton a few years ago as well. So it, there is a big big potential there for Newcastle, and um, and and but it, that key word isn't it? It's just it's always been potential. It's never actually been realized since, um you know, in the last twenty years. Certainly under Ashley, they've never got close to realizing that potential.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I definitely. It's it's interesting because you know that you mentioned the top six is is there, and it's it's they're pretty implemented into that top six. And you have to, in order to gain ground, you have to spend more than them. You have to you have to do more than what they're doing. So yeah, I think next step, like what Rafa said in the interview, like. That top 10, like, like 10, 9, 8 is definitely like the next step, I think, for us. And I think that's a realistic step like right now. But, definitely. yeah, I, I think I think you definitely brought up some great points. Now, another uh, one last, I guess, Newcastle like full-on question. I don't know how to describe that. That was awful. Um, do, your thoughts on Newcastle's approach to its academy. I know that's that's been interesting. I know Rafa's had a few words to it. And obviously, with the success of Longstaff, and then you have Elias Sorensen. I know he's been quiet this, since January, but um, thoughts on how Newcastle is approaching that, and if there's going to be any changes. Um, I know there's a lot of cuts last year, so didn't know if you heard anything there.
2: Yeah, so I think the I think the academy's the academy is one of these things that are a um, it's it's difficult really to to look at uh, Newcastle's academy and compare it to some of the other teams in the Premier League because. It, it just, they it just don't have, they just don't have a uh, the same amount. I don't, don't think it's it's set up in the same way that other football clubs in the Premier League have it because Newcastle have made a decision, I think, a few years ago to to concentrate on players in the northeast. because they felt, that, you know, they'd spent a lot of money, invested a lot of money in um, in players from uh, from overseas, and it hadn't really worked out for them. You know, I did a piece a few. Uh, we could go about some of the players that they've they've spent a lot of money on, and they haven't got any, they haven't had much of a return from those players. So I think they decided to to sort of, um, they, they decided that they were gonna they, they were gonna try and do it do it a different way, and that has uh, so far, you know, it it hasn't really borne fruit until this year really with the um with the emergence of Sean Longstaff. So. It's it's a difficult one really for me for me to sort of criticise them too much for doing that with the with the north east, but I think it's clear that it needs investment. It's clear that they need a few coaches in there. raffle wants to raffle wants them to put money up, basically to go out and sign a few players who can who can lift the level of the players in the academy. Because I think he thinks that you know you're going to get the odd long staff coming through, but he thinks the level that they have to compete at isn't it's not, it's not strong enough. He thinks. There are players in there who are coasting. Um, he thinks they're coasting because they don't have, um, you know, they, they don't have the comp- the level of competition that they need in there. Um, uh, and and until they do that, I think it, it probably he's probably right. You know, then they're not going to get as many players as they should do coming through. Um, so so yeah, I think that's what they need to do. There's a the big the big thing and uh, the big thing that they they really need to do is just. A bit of investment, maybe maybe some new coaches. I think they're starting to do that. You know, we've seen the loan managers going to come in. There's, there's going to be new coaches in as well, um, into the into the academy as well. But really, it, that'll be a long-term project for Rafa. He's, he wants to get the first team sorted first, and then after that, look at look at look at look in the academy as well. But, but it, it's a big opportunity for Newcastle though, the, um, the the northeast doesn't get enough players coming through at the moment they haven't had enough players coming through for the amount of people that care about the game round here they haven't had enough players coming through there's there's not you know there should be a a jordan henderson or a you know a kind of andy carroll coming through in every generation from the northeast but there's just not that's just not happening and we need to we need to work out why that is i mean there's a lot of reasons for that some of the boys clubs around here are very strong and they uh, you know, they hold on to some of the players um you know that it's it's hard sometimes for the professional clubs to get to get the club, the players to come from the boys clubs every week um it's also hard sometimes I think because the three clubs all competing in a very small area you know and we have um and we and you know we don't have a massive area where we can pick from and it's also difficult to get the best players to come from Europe to come to the northeast and live here and 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 develop here i mean the piece that I did a few weeks ago was. Basically, had somebody who came from Plymouth to come down to play for Newcastle and said he just wasn't ready to do it at fifteen. It was such a big move, and that's a problem, isn't it? That is a big problem. You've got a lot of um, you've got a lot of a lot a lot of people coming a long way to Newcastle. I think. Not a place where necessarily you're going to be you're going to be able. Sixteen year old. There's a lot of issues I think for the academy to, to hit. If Rafa gets his way. They will invest a little bit, and I think it will be better. Um, so it's, it's a difficult one because so, I think it's been a big. I think it's been a problem for years and years and years. Newcastle haven't produced the amount of players. Um, haven't produced the amount of players that they should do. So that, that, that's the top, and that's a long-term problem. And um, so it's not just this yeah, regime. Not just this. It's not just this. Uh, not just this, um, uh, this this manager either or this this owner.
0: Yeah, I think I think promotion too. Uh, the U23s can get that. I think that could be a big incentive. I mean, that's why you know a few of our academy players left last year because of that. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the most notable one, right, um, <clears throat> went to Everton. So I think that could, that could be a big advantage. Now, I think if we do get promoted, we it could be in for a rude awakening. But you know, it, the fact that we're there is it, it, at least fighting for it. Um, and two points from that promotion, yeah. like the automatic spot. It's pretty big.
2: Yeah, it'd be good if they went. If they good, good if they went back into the European uh, European competition as yeah. well. Um, you know, it was uh, it was it was quite uh, that that was a big thing for them a couple of years ago. You know, they've done, they've done okay really in the last. I think they have definitely kicked on this year. They're better than they were last year. Yeah, um, Ben Dawson, I think, is quite an impressive, quite an impressive character. They're definitely improving. I mean, you're seeing signs of it. Um, Matty Longstaff, I'm told, is 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 very good as well. So that would be great if, if he came through as well. I would think he would go out on loan next year. Um, you know, and that would, be a, that would be a really good, that would be a really good move. I mean, yeah. Lee, Lee tells him that Matty Longstaff is, is, you know, as good as his brother. So, oh, wow. There great, we go. Yeah, yeah, if he gets the opportunity, it'll be, uh, you know, that, that would be exciting to see. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he went out for League One or League Two this year. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's a good player, I think, from what I'm, from what I'm told.
0: There we go. Uh, we need more of that. <laughs> so two more questions for you. Uh, one of them is uh, from Trevor Mooney. Trevor is the official questionnaire of CHN Radio. That's his actual title. Okay. So he always <laughs> has some pretty creative questions. Um, so this, he has a good one for you. Uh, so the question is, in Greg's rendition, in my rendition of The Chronicles of Narnia, there's a pun in there, <laughs> um, <laughs> which three players would be the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe?
2: Ooh, that's a good one, isn't it? That's a good one. is a lion? Which I think, lion, you'd have to say Matt Ritchie because he's lion, lion-hearted, isn't he? Oh yeah. Um, the wardrobe. Can I pick? Can I pick players who used to play for Newcastle? Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, you can you make up the rules. He <laughs> didn't give any guys.
2: Manu, guy. Manu Riviera, because he was about as mobile as a wardrobe. <laughs> um, <laughs> and which I'd go for. Right, oh, this is going to be really cheesy. And Ben Arthur because he could cast spells <laughs> over opposition defenses. Hey. Yeah, that's awful. Absolutely terrible. Um, no, I like yeah. it, I like it. Yeah, that's <laughs> awful. But yeah, Murray's fine. I know. Although obviously I know in the in the in the bookies it's not quite that. But that's yeah. Did definitely... you
0: see the, the clip of him absolutely smashing Dubrovka's back?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that made me I laugh. Loved it. So, yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, all right. So the last question that we have for you, we, we asked this with everybody that we talk to. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's, I I love it. It kind of gives everybody a nice insight on the history of the club too. But, um, if you could go back to any Newcastle match in history and you get to watch it live, you're not working, just a supporter. Um, what match would you go to any match at any time you get to see it live?
2: Wow. Um, I've I've always been there, I've always felt like I'd I'd want to go back to the Barcelona game. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine Newcastle United at home at St James's Park against Barcelona and winning, and not just winning, but winning really, really well. Um, that it would have just been, I think, an incredible, incredible moment um to, to kind of to kind of be there. But obviously I wasn't I wasn't there. I was kind of watching on telly at the time. I think that that would have been incredible. There's loads of games during the Entertainers era as well that I think it would have been uh, would have been incredible to, to be to be part of. Um, but uh, but I think I think you probably you, you probably go all the way all the way back to the kind of teams in the 50s that were, were winning the FA Cups and um, you know the Fairs Cup as well. I mean that you know to see Newcastle United win a trophy would be an incredible thing. I mean I I, I would love to think that if I was here for another 10 years. Newcastle would win something in that ten years because, honestly, the way that the, the city would react if the team won something would just be <laughs> insane. I mean, it would be incredible. I don't think. I think they would. I think the city would be drunk dry, and it would be amazing to be part of it. I'd love to write about it. I'd love to put all the newspapers out, the, the supplements that you'd be able to do, the, the amazing number of articles you'd be able to write about it. And do the probably the longest days work I'd ever done, and finish at three in the morning or four in the morning or whatever, and then go out for a couple of drinks with, and, and people still be drinking, I'm sure, um, you know. Newcastle but I do, might not
0: exist if that. Happened. Oh God, it would
2: be incredible, <laughs> I mean, incredible. I think, I think you know, having seen, I've never seen, I, I when I first started, I, I covered Sunderland as well, so I've seen Sunderland at, at Wembley for a League Cup final. I've never seen Newcastle get. There, I've seen the furthest I've seen them get in any competition is the quarterfinals of the Europa Cup, the uh, Europa League, sorry, and then the League Cup, obviously quarterfinals and Rafa first year. But that's as far as they've got in eleven years. If they went on a run, I just I can't imagine what what it would be like, the excitement around a cup run, and and I would just love to see that because we just haven't had that kind of excitement for a few years. I mean, winning the championship, the atmosphere was incredible, but let's be honest, that was just that, that was just correcting it wrong uh, writing a wrong wasn't it to actually yeah. go and win something would be fantastic
0: yeah love it well mark it was a pleasure thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful afternoon for you on a sunday program. No
2: problem <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah it's sunday afternoon for us
0: if you haven't followed him yet what are you doing uh give him a follow on twitter at msi douglas uh read their stuff go to the Qu- chronicle um you can also listen to their podcast we we approve <laughs> um, but no, it was absolute pleasure. Let's uh, let's
2: let's end the season with 12 points, huh? Brilliant, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. I'd love them to be Liverpool, actually. That would be, yeah. that would be one of those amazing. not yeah. because I don't want, them to want them to win the league, that one, be incredible.
0: Yeah, I wonder how people would feel about Rafa in Liverpool after that one. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a pleasure, Mark. Thank you,
2: no problem. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>
1: The races cause on the 9th of June, 1862, one on a summer's afternoon. I took the Buster to Vanderbilt, and she was heavy laden. Away we went to Collinwood Street, that's on the road to Bladen. <laughs> So past Arnston factory and up to the job in the day, just can't do for the railway bridge, the bus will flow off there. The lasses lost the crinolines and the bales that hide their faces. I got two black eyes and a broken nose and gathered the blade and raises. Came back our yen. Some went to the dispensary, and some to Dr. Gibbs's, and some to the infirmary to mend their broken ribs. <laughs> There was Bonnie Gampy begun. There was four and twenty on the bus, but who that danced them soon? They called on me to sing a song, and I sang the paddy thing. And I danced the jig and swoon twig the day, I went to play. Them. to blade and tune the bellman he was carrying there they carried him Jackie Broom. i saw him talking to some chips and then he was persuaded the Gamsy he jordied he showed the mechanics howl at blade and... Coffee Johnny had a white hat on. They yelled, "We stole the cootie!" There was spice dolls and monkey shows and ad wives selling cider. And a chap for the butcher's and no malads for riders. <laughs>